The Grow Your Group Show, episode 13. Giving you the tools you need to recruit more people, raise more money, and change more lives. It's the Grow Your Group Show with your host, Mike Cooney. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Season 2 of the Grow Your Group Show. So we are back from our holiday break for Episode 13. Longer than I wanted it to be for that break. Um, so I was going to take the holidays off and then come back with a new show. And then I have two small children, so they are two and four. And I love them, but they brought home some wonderful germs. So they started by, started. I had to watch them, and then my two-year-old daughter, Katie, decided that she should get me sick and throw up on me a couple of times. And is there anybody else in the world who can throw up on you and you're not just furious except for your kids? So you just sort of, oh, but, oh, sweetheart. But I'm feeling much better now. Uh, my voice is back. And I have got a good one for you today. Um, my friend Sandy Payne, who you may remember from all the way back in episode one, is back. And today uh, we went into the specifics of helping scouts with autism. I got to speak to Sandy a couple weeks ago um, at June Norcross Webster Scout Reservation in Ashford. Uh, they were nice enough to host us, so we'll have a link to them on the show notes page. You can find all sorts of stuff on today's topic, which is working with scouts with autism uh, at mikecooney.net slash 13. I did say 14 a couple of times in the episode, but it's 13, so you can tell me later that I'm wrong. Uh, but it's episode 13. Um, Sandy, as you may remember, is a nurse with a long history of working with people with special needs, um, she has an autistic son who is an Eagle Scout, uh, who we talk about in the episode, RJ, and RJ is awesome. And Sandy has also been the chair of the Connecticut River Scout Council, Connecticut Rivers Council, Scouting with Special Needs Committee um, since about 2010. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation, and thank you so much for listening. So welcome back to the show, Sandy Payne. Sandy was on our first episode, which you can find at mikecooney.net slash one to get her full bio. Today we are out at uh, June Norcross Webster Scout Reservation in scenic Ashford, Connecticut, or beautiful downtown Burbank. Um, I'm going to go scenic Ashford, Connecticut. Um, and there's my one Gary Owens no, reference. you already have one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah you know, Sandy is learning to look at my ums on the, uh, on the recording screen. Just my embarrassment that we can share with you. So welcome to the show, Sandy. Today we are going to be talking autism. Uh, Sandy is the expert that I go to, and she knows so much more than I do, and more than most people would have any right to know. So today we're going to talk autism, and autism specifically in scouting, and how you would deal with that to give the best program to kids. Thanks, Mike, for having me back. It's a pleasure, as always. So we were talking about autism spectrum disorder, and a it's come a long way. Everybody says there's a lot of diagnoses now, more people diagnosed. And to some degree, there is. You see that. But it's how do we work with people? People are people. And a lot of the things we talk about to do can be applied across the board to anybody because we all have something that we have issues with. So with that being said, autism spectrum disorder, or ASD as it's commonly referred to now, is a developmental disorder and is typically reflected through social and communication skill deficits. Autism spectrum disorder is a collective term for a growing list of classifications. So in other words, 
we're getting the autism, the Asperger's, PPD, NOS, um, Tourette's. You get a lot of different classifications of each little level on that broad spectrum. Uh, each young person with autism can present with a different combination and severity of behaviors. So a lot of things that we see with autism, and we get the emails all the time on this, especially in Cub Scouting. He can't sit still. He's getting up, walking around. He doesn't seem to be paying attention. He doesn't relate to others. He can't complete the project. He's not able to stay on task. So the things we're looking at, behaviors and characteristics that you may see. The communication and language skills varies from nonverbal to language fluent, and they can be actually almost come off as arrogant in a way with their fluency, using larger words than appropriate for the age, having more of an adult conversation with you versus somebody who's 10, 11 years old, or 9 years old. So that can put some people like, at, a, at a disadvantage or uneasy. Nonverbal communications, they can both be expressive or receptive, may be poor or may be impaired, including use of gestures, facial expression, or poor eye contact. So those are a lot of words put in there. What it is is they may not understand your body language. If I were to cross my arms and give you that mean mom look or dad look, most of us know what that means. They may not relate that or the look of empathy or happiness. They may just run on a straight even keel to some degree with major hiccups up or down. You may see that. And the poor eye contact, they can be sitting there not looking at you, not paying attention to you from what our social norm says we're supposed to have eye contact. And they're not, they're, their eyes are off somewhere else. They're looking down. It could be sensory issues due to lighting. You could be standing outside in the sun and you're making this youth look at you in the sun. I don't like looking in the sun. I'm not on the spectrum. So, you know, we need to stop and think about some of the, these things and ask what's going on. They may take things literally. It's, you know, you could turn around and say, and this is my favorite one that I got from our original scoutmaster who has uh, two children on the spectrum. So he was fully versed in all of this. So you could say it's raining cats and dogs. We all know it means it's pouring out. But the person on the spectrum may very well run and look for the cats and dogs coming down from the sky, hoping to take one home with them as a lovely little pet. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I want that so much. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> being be... able to rain cats and dogs and, like, pick all your pets that you want? It, well, it depends if you get an allergy. <laughs> be like, uh, like, there you go. There's another disability, yeah, allergies. Yeah. My sinuses are killing me. It must be raining. <laughs> So they take things literally. It, that's you know, it's a dramatization, but it's what we call those idioms. Or when you give them directions to do something, think about what you're saying. Go cut the tree down, and you're standing there, and there's six trees. They may cut down the wrong tree if you didn't specify which tree. All I'm trying to think. Oh, the perfect one. I have an R.J. story. Okay. R.J. is my son. And he's an Eagle Scout. He's now just turned 22. And Mike knows him quite well through scouting. I do. 
he turned around, he was making chicken fingers, you know, chicken tenders. And the box direction said, take half the chicken fingers, chicken pieces, and put them in the egg batter and then dip them in the coating. So I come around the corner and I look at the box, I look at the pan, and I see these chicken tenders. And one tender is laying there looking at me and it's got coating on one side, like half the tip and the other half nothing. I'm like, RJ, what are you doing? It says do half of them. Says, Have you ever gone to McDonald's and bought chicken nuggets or anything and had it only half coated? What? No. No, that's an Arby's thing. <laughs> <laughs> And it took him a minute, and I made him reread the directions. And it's a common joke in our household that we're going to write a cookbook for people on the spectrum because those directions, the little nuances that we all know, uh, can be missed quite easily. So we had half-breaded, half-done chicken tenders. We had to go back and finish them, but it was just one of those comical moments of, you know, reading directions and not understanding what's being said to you. And here it is, somebody who's, you know, 21 at the time when we did this. They may have, um, back to, they may have difficulty using language to express their needs. I hurt. I'm sad. I'm mad. I can't express that. If the thing that impressed me years ago when they were really looking into autism and Asperger's and everything, there were some MRIs done. The MRIs actually reflect that they feel these things as pain. So it'd be like me putting a needle or, you know, your brother sitting on top of you, beating the snot out of you, pain. And we don't perceive it that way. So thinking about how that perceives and putting it in the perspective of when you're dealing with a person. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating to deal with anybody that you're not having a good jive with. So these are ways to help get over that. They will also repeat what you say in fashion like. We call it parrot fashion or repetitive phrases. So, you know, my name is John. Yep, my name is John. Go jump three feet. Go jump three feet. But they don't realize you're asking them to jump three feet. So when we do, we're going to cover that a little more in a little bit. But when we talk about direction and giving directions and helping them, it is being breaking it down into components, small pieces, giving clear direction. And when you talk to them, asking them, so do you understand? They're going to say yes, whether they do or not. They understand what they think they heard or the directions you gave. And the poor conversation skills, you know, maybe resistant and upset to change. So, you know, you, we were going to do this today. We were going to have... Um, practicing folding the flag and you know something happened and John didn't bring the flag so we can't do that activity they may be upset about it because they spent time studying it to be prepared so they didn't look out of place trying that activity so that's what's in their mindset and that's all they can picture and you're saying nope now we're gonna go work on fire building well they're not prepared for that um, body movements such as flapping of hands. Yep, Mike's, Mike's doing the imaginary <laughs> drums and I can do my imaginary air guitar. Uh, but flapping of hands, rocking, rocking. different types of behavior. Um, 
I know one youth who took a blanket and would ball it up into a little knot and just gently tap their head continually. Sucking thumbs, you'll see now that a lot of the companies have come out with oral tools, you know, like the chewing beads and things like that, because that's another thing they do to calm down. That's their way of coping with things. But it's odd to us to see somebody 10 years old doing that. Um, and occasionally, and this is one of the big things, may like to run away. So elopement risk is a big concern in scouting, making sure you are and you do have a plan for that if that should happen. And like I said, they could be odd or eccentric when, you know, you think of somebody coming off with their language, acting and talking, not like a 10-year-old, more like a 22-year-old scientist. It, those are, you know, you just automatically, that puts kids off. So their social interactions are funny. You see them tend to go more towards the adults. The, um, they also, clumsiness, poor coordination, those are things we see. So think about these things as we're going into advancements and how are we going to help build this program or do things for them to help them. They may find it difficult to form or hold social relationships. So being in a patrol is difficult. Clumsiness, poor coordination. Now send this person on a five-mile hike or backpacking, you know, whitewater rafting. Not time can be a nightmare for a Cub Scout. Well, I mean, that's frustrating for every kid. Yeah. But, you know, when you add on to it, you know, an autism thing is the biggest problem with not tying in general is frustration. Um, same sort of thing with, like, you know, Math problems, like math problems and knot tying, are very similar. And that is, once you get over the the frustration, you can do it, but you got to work through that frustration first. And this is mm -hmm. somebody who can't voice that frustration, yeah. mm -hmm. or can have behaviors related to that frustration. So it's a total shutdown, no win situation. So when you're working with these kids, learning how to get past that hurdle and making it a great great experience for everybody and would that be sort of like a, you know, a connection thing where you know what to look for you know okay now i have to tell you a joke and i have to make a silly face now i have to you know um you know we're at camp you know i think you know my buddy moose who can take a pratfall at this this time um because it's important to know how to fall um if you're doing a pratfall that sort of thing to sort of get past that you know i can't do this i'm gonna you know and then that frustration that becomes, but you'll see that, you know, that, so that frustration, they start, it, it works in on itself and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And then you'll get some sort of, you know, the damn bursts and you want to break it before it gets to that, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's that those methods of prevention that we put in and understanding the program and understanding the uh, person. So it's so key to, to have these things identified ahead of time, any special needs, so you know how to build it into the program and help it work and make those adjustments. You know, and we always talk about in training, plan A, plan B, plan C, but if you're going in with a plan, you're gonna come out with a good product. And the product that we're doing is having fun with reason, with purpose. And these kids, I've seen so many of them now over the, God, what, 15 years I've been doing this, the kids develop and move on and grow up and move into other things and are fully functioning people in our community who have so much to give. So 
you know, they say all those things. What can we do? What are things we can do to help prepare and plan to make plan A, plan B? Talk to the parent and the scout. The scout can give you so much information and the parent can help with that. They may know more information regarding the scout's needs. You know, Johnny does not like loud noises and you guys meet in the firehouse. So every time that alarm goes off, Johnny's going to melt down. So now we know we have to work with Johnny on that process and what can we do? Maybe wearing headphones, noise dampening, prepare him, walk him through a couple of those scenarios so he understands it, that it's not so bad. Would, just as a crazy thought, if you were in the firehouse, I don't know how you would do this, I'm just thinking, you know, the way kids work, if you let them press the button. If you let you set the alarm <laughs> off, then it's awesome. <laughs> They're expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've had kids at camp who, you know, setting off the uh, the the, rock, the cannon. You want to help because um, now I'm doing it. You know, sort of give them that control and sort of demystify it would be a real a factor. Um, you know, like, you know, like so just just as a thought of a way of getting around this, giving them some control of you know this isn't so you know foreign. And I think you just really hit on something really big, Mike, the control factor, because that's something we all want in yeah. our lives is how can we have some type of control, and it's not going to break the whole system, letting a youth under supervision light off the cannon. Yeah, I mean, if you do it all the time, you know, you don't want to have, you know, you're, we're going to send a 12-year-old, he's going to run the, the town fire alarm. <laughs> <laughs> the alarm's going off a lot. Yeah. yeah, we wonder why. Nobody's getting anything done, um, <laughs> but controlled. Okay, ensure confidentiality. I think that's one of the biggest thing is parents, we don't want our child's information. We don't want labels. We don't want tags. And, you know, some parent comes in and goes, oh, well, we don't want Johnny there because Johnny's at school and he does this and he's disruptive and he hit Susie. And the stories that come from six years down the road are still haunting this kid and he's moved past it. Yeah. So that type of thing needs to be cut and be used with discretion. I mean, that, that's a mindset in general that, that I see in the program of, you know, you, you really have to work about against, especially when we're dealing with special needs kids, is, you know, this the, the removing the problem as opposed to dealing with it. You know, and, you know, a child working through an issue, they all have issues, but the, the knee-jerk reaction is, how do we remove this scout from a unit, which doesn't help anybody. I mean, it doesn't help. The scout, it doesn't help the other scouts in the unit who are going to have to deal with difficult, in quotations, people throughout their lives. Um, and you know, removing this kid is not the best thing at all. But it's the tempting and the easy way out. And it's always disappointing to see that people want to do that. Very well said, Mike. Other things that you can do, find out the scouts' likes and dislikes. I mean, you can, you know, you can try to incorporate. It may be something very little. You know, like Mike said, that control piece. It may be something little. That can help the program. And it can, it can help you build that connection. Yeah. You know, I like that too. I don't like that. I mean, I, you know, it was not... Have that a, conversation. Yeah, I mean, not, you know, just not a story about not a, a kid who did not, was not on the spectrum, but rather had downs, um, but he was the biggest Red Sox fan ever, and he was actually, by kid, I mean, he was two years older than me, um, but he was still a scout, um, and we had a talk at camp, and I told him that I once met... Once met Red Sox pitcher Louis Tion, and he wanted to stay up all night talking Red Sox from 30 years earlier, and it was that connection. And you know, and, but, you know, and as much as it meant to him, 
I'm still talking about it now. It meant a lot to me that I could connect with a scout like that and, you know, and then help him out. Um, so, you know, yeah, those, those connections are so important to build. And the kids that I talk about or youth adults now that I've worked with, you go back and you see them and you still remember those stories. And those are the stories you carry with you and wind up telling over and over again because they mean so much to you. Like when I ordered your, when I ordered your son to go watch UHF. <laughs> <laughs> You've ordered my son to do a few things. I think that was one of my favorite things I ever ordered a scout to do. You're going to go watch a movie where someone will scream your name in the middle of the movie. <laughs> hey, RJ. RJ. <laughs> so to love with RJ. Yeah. Anyway, some of the other things you can do, it's educate, educate, educate. Training is out there all around you. Scouting is one of the one places that has a plethora, and I like that word, plethora. <laughs> it's a big word. I'm going to use my big word today, plethora. But there's a lot of information out there to get educated. And your council may not have it. Don't be afraid to go to other councils. When Mike and I first started up Scouting with Special Needs at Council, Mike kind of mm -hmm. came in after my first meeting with my other advisor before he left. And Mike helped, and we built this process. And we built it on another council's program. And it rocked. Their program rocked, mm -hmm. and it is one of the four running programs. So we've been able to you know, kind of adopt that and use that program. Education, education, education. Obtain parental agreement in developing a program. They have um, scout IEPs now, ISAPs, I believe they're called. I'm not looking at my paperwork right now. But that helps you build a little bit of a program. Again, that planning, planning, planning. Conferences. It doesn't have to be the scout master conference. It can be, okay, we have an issue with this. Let's try to work it out. We're going to have, and you make the scout responsible. Besides having control, giving them responsibility and learning to follow through with it and the consequences of not following through with it. But it's not a punishment. It's that process we all go through every day. And think about what your body language says. Your body language really does say a lot. Arms crossed. They don't understand body language. But if you talk a lot of people, Mike's plugging his nose right now. <laughs> I'm thinking the silliest thinking body language I can do. <laughs> body language, like, yeah, you stink. Okay. I wasn't going for that. How about this? <laughs> and in some ways, you may find yourself educating a parent. Parents sometimes are so bogged down with daily life and all the other things, and they don't understand the scout program. So you may be educating them, like, why we don't let scouts go off on their own or why one adult is with a scout, and those type of things. I think one of my favorite stories, and we talk about stories, and it's probably a good way to kind of wrap this up, is I had a scout when I was a, a assistant scoutmaster. I had a scout that loved building tents. Help me, Mike. What am I thinking of? What the? The structures. Like for fires or lean, lean to? Okay, yeah, yeah. Like the like wilderness survival. Tent. Wilderness survival. Like shelters. Thing. Shelters. Yeah. Thank you. I, I was like, it, it just totally escaped. Spent a whole mind. summer doing it. <laughs> Well, you didn't have John with you. And this scout loved to build shelters. And that was one of the things that you'll find with kids on the spectrum is they like that close, tight surrounding. So they have the weighted blankets. They do all these things. Well, John's thing was shelters. 
So cabin camping, we were up here at J.N. Webster, as a matter of fact, in one of the cabins with 30 boys. Loud. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard, I think. I'm sure Mike has something louder. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is. It's very, the noise level is very high, which put the three kids I had on the spectrum, it, you know, it raised their anxiety level, their behaviors, and everything else. So now they're doing like what siblings do, that little, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. Yeah. And it escalates. It's going to escalate. And it made for really tough weekends and trips and stuff. And nobody was really looking forward to it. So this one particular weekend, it's like, okay, let's bring an extra tarp for John. We talked, you know, to the youth and we talked to the parents and we said, we're going to let them wrap this tarp around, kind of make a cave on the bed. He's going to be allowed. And we wrote it in the contract. We said five minutes in there to decompress. And that worked for him. He brought one little of his... It wasn't a rock and bot, but like one of his little toys. And he could sit there and play with it and be in his own little world. He came out, he was fine. Well, of course, all the other kids are like, well, I want one of those. Why can't I do that? Well, they all, I all said, you know, you know, you see what happens. That's his place to calm down. He needs privacy. He needs a place to do that. You guys don't necessarily need that. But what we can do is let John pick one person to kind of hang out there for a couple minutes. So then everybody wanted to be John's friend. And what happened was John no longer became the kid that was doing something strange or causing the bad behaviors and all the other things that make it a rough time. John became another person. He became another friend. He became another scout, another patrol member. And they're friends. They're friends. A lot of them are friends to this day. And we started building this program and we love to go camping. We didn't have any more, you know, that dreaded phone call as you come home. Um, you know, I got to talk to you, Mrs. Payne, because we didn't have any of that. I mean, like literally it, it melded the program and made it so enjoyable. So that's kind of my story. Yeah. And to end it on, unless you have any more comments. Mike? Um, well, I tend to do a wrap up because my name's <laughs> on the show. Um, but I mean, I think this is so important i mean i think just learning sort of the skills of dealing with dealing with getting to work with kids on a spectrum are just useful dealing with every kid and the more we can you know you can use these skills on the autism kids but you can use them on every kid and it's that you know building that connection with you know you're going to be okay you can trust us having that adult where you know things are going nuts and Eventually, I found you can, you know, a look is usually enough, is enough to, you know, reassure. But I want to thank Sandy for um, for sharing her wealth of knowledge, and is just as much that I want to thank you for listening um, and for using this knowledge for the kids that you're going to be helping because it's huge um, for people for kids who, you know, probably won't thank you as much as you deserve. So let me. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, th there'll be a show notes page. I'm going to say. Uh, slash 14, but if it's wrong, I'll come back later and edit it, and it, you, you'll hear whatever number I want. So, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Group Show. Visit MikeCooney.net to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.